Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. The Final Charge of Humanity. Written by Kuto8797. The introduction of the human species to the alien life and the galactic political landscape was not a peaceful one. It came with war. Not a mass invasion by a wrathful empire or a swift annexation by xenophobic overlords. To be frank, it was almost an accident, collateral damage. The consequences of another war. There had been a civil war in the Cryash Domain, with the revolutionary forces of the Armed Liberators, commonly referred to as the Blue Army, defeating the forces of the loyal to the Khan, killing him, along with most of his forces, on one of the deadliest battles in the galaxy had ever seen, the Siege of Marius. Most, not all. The shattered remains of the 11th Legion had regrouped after the battle, with only a fraction of their original power remaining, critically low on manpower by the Dominion standards, and in dire need of resources and dry docks, the Legion held little hope of restoring the Dominion, but their honor codes dictated that they should fight to the end. As such, they retreated, setting course for the unclaimed outer regions, hoping to find a suitable planet to turn into a base. And that planet was Earth. It wasn't a classic movie scene with the primitive species watching in wonder, only to get terrified as the new arrivals attacked them. From the time the Legion exited warp just outside of Jupiter's gravity well, humanity knew it would be fighting soon. Turns out that across species and stars, battleships always look similar, and the barrels of railguns all look alike. There were attempts to contact the ones labeled the Alpha Aliens, to no avail, as the powerful thrusters of the Legion ships brought them closer to the closer every day on a direct course of the human homeworld. The leaders of the planet decided to hold an emergency meeting. After days of ironing out the details, a global situation of emergency was declared. A state of total war was enforced and the Terran Alliance was declared. A unified military and an industrial alliance combining all the resources of the planet to a man with the intent of staving off the invaders. Within hours of the proclamation, the first casualties of war were recorded. In International Space Station, perhaps mistaken as a defensive platform, perhaps destroyed simply as a show of strength. Regardless, the cries of the astronauts within were broadcast by the radio's final moments. And so the war began. The Legion was not seeking to enslave humanity, neither to subdue it. They needed a homeworld, and they needed its resources. Their droids would provide their necessary labor, and thus no slaves were required. This was a war of extermination. The galaxy knew, of course, the armed liberators did too, but they were more interested in cleaning the wounds and purging the remains of the Dominion than protecting some backwards primitives from a raiding party. 
and the other realms of the galaxy did not pressure them to do so, even if it fell under their jurisdiction. In the great game of galactic politics, the survival of mankind was traded away for some political capital. Soon enough, the massive orbital bombardment targeting military installations and civilian centers alike, their accelerated rounds rained down death and destruction, killing millions in just a few hours. But humanity had a few cards up its sleeve as well. The unreasonably large nuclear arsenal that the foolish people had built and aimed at each other was now concentrated on the invading fleet and fired in one massive wave. ICBMs, MIRIVs, LRBMs, and MRBMs, all matter of nuclear weaponry, was strapped to whatever rockets could be found, and if none could be found, old ones were repurposed. The SpaceX Moon Tourism Shuttle was fitted with a W-76 warhead and flung at the skies. Saturn rockets and SLS and satellite destroyers, if it could generate enough force to reach space, it was fitted with a warhead. There were even rumors of the old V-2 Museum piece was equipped with a Davy Crockett and flung into space blindly. Under normal circumstances, a wave of nuclear missiles would be a cakewalk for the high-power point defense lasers of the Dominion. But the ships had taken a beating, and many of the systems were only at partial effectiveness. Also, the Legion believed humanity to be incapable of such retaliation, and had failed to position their ships adequately, a mistake that cost them dearly. Even with their thick armor of exotic alloys, thousands of nuclear detonations spare no one, not even a dreadnought of the Dominion. The first one to fall was the Wrath of Khan, the pride of the 11th Legion and her flagship. Falling down to Earth in a blazing hot light of nuclear fire, thousands followed suit. By the end of the nuclear attack, only a few ships, mostly those that had lagged behind, were still alive. Humanity would not perish to orbital bombardment. The smaller guns in the remaining frigates were not enough for more than precision strikes. But the war was not over, for the bulk of the planetary invasion force had remained unscathed, having lagged behind the main fleet. If the Legion could not destroy humanity from orbit, it would do so on the surface. Thousands of dropships, drop pods, and landing craft rained from above, landing on the outskirts of major urban centers and converging. The shocked Terran military could not respond effectively to the superior technology of the Dominion. Their powered armors, their plasma repeaters, and their cities across the world fell, its inhabitants decimated with the indiscriminate exterminations. Madrid, Vancouver, Sao Paulo, Seattle, Nairobi, Vladislavok, Sydney, and the name of few, and so the descendants of Khan rejoiced, for victory would be theirs. But that was not meant to be. The sons of Earth were not ready to keel over and die. They fought back. As the military organized, legionary attacks on major cities began to be repulsed, and human gains were observed as well. The spirit of a species facing extermination is to not be underestimated. Old veterans making use of World War II anti-tank rifles to assassinate officers, young students holding the ground against all odds, civilians giving all their possessions to the cause, humanity would win this war or die trying. After months of grinding battles and horrifying casualties, the tides began 
to shift. Cities were liberated, technology was captured, and the legion fell on the retreat, converging on the ruins of the once mighty Istanbul. Therefore, was a matter of time, and the legion knew this, perhaps too well. Terran scientists had been in a frenzy during the war, studying technology, attempting to translate alien languages, tapping into the radio network, anything to gain an upper hand. It was during one such eavesdropping on a radio broadcast that a message was partially translated. Amongst countless other words that could not be translated, only two matters were understood. Planet Cracker. A morbid countdown ticked down at the end of the message. The Legion would not be defeated. The Legion would take Earth along with it. At the heart of their zone of control, the Legion prepared to deploy the ultimate weapon. The Planet Cracker, a machine that generated a miniature black hole and accelerated it against the core of a planet, ensuring its destruction. The Earthling swelled into a frenzy. Every second was precious, every life expendable. Do or die. Within days, the defensive lines of the Legion had been conquered and pulverized by atomic bombardment. The troops moving into the freshly irradiated soil with little protection and even less care for such trivial matters. But the attack stalled on the final and the mightiest defense fortification, the one that shielded the banner cracker itself. With the clock on the scant hours away from Doomsday, humanity hit a brick wall. A defense too solid and perhaps more importantly, the survival instinct of the soldiers too strong to be overrun by what their hearts already knew, that this was not the time to care about one's life. It was then that the event which would later be remembered as mankind's finest hour took place. A young officer by the name of Sophie Durand grabbed hold of a flag of the Terran Alliance, its blue and gold colors fluttering in the wind of change, and with a microphone in her armored suit, she let loose the sound that reverberated across the battlefield. Sons of Terror, charge! Jumping over the barricade, holding the nothing but the flag and a war cry, Sophie was not alone, for just behind her thousands of soldiers from all corners of Earth charged with the a million cries of their lips. Forth, Pelatierra, Pelatera, thousands of language and one people, one cry. Thousands were cut down in the massive human wave, but they did not care. Their hearts had finally told their minds what they already knew, that today was a good day to die. The only day to die. The best way to die while fighting for what you believe in and for those you love the most. Terror was victorious. The defenses overrun, the planet cracker disabled, the commemorations erupted around the globe, old enemies hugged and cheered, bitter rivalries forgotten in joy. Humanity had been saved. As the dead of the battlefield were identified and carried away, one last cruelty was uncovered, that the brave soldier had perished in the charge herself. How could she not, first in the first line? Now her body lay on the ground, white, lifeless eyes staring at the sky, in irony or heroism, the flag now wrapped around her body, its colors of hope mixed with the red of blood. She was hailed a hero, as all those who perished in the war. Humanity would not 
forget its finest hour. The moment had been recorded by photographers and memories alike, and so today, if you visit the capital planet of the Terran Federation and head to their capital city of Gaia, you will find there, as a backdrop for the Human Council, a large painting made by several artists from across the world. Hundreds of different styles in the same memorial, its beauty stemming from its differences, its unity in its similarities. You will see a painting of the officer holding the flag of humanity, and you will see humanity itself. A man and woman, rich, poor, friends and foes, all charging together as one in what would be the final charge, for there never will be another charge like that. Captured by the official motto of the Terran Federation, Unitus Invictus, United Invincible. End of story. Story number two. The Curse of Moon Buddha, written by Scotson. Nobody really knew where Moon Buddha came from. About the only thing anyone could agree on was that he was dead. For as long as anyone could remember, Moon Buddha had been a local tourist attraction on his part of the lunar. So famous was he that he even got a passing mention in the travel brochure to Earth's lonely satellite. But Moon Buddha himself only sat on his hill in the Taurus Mountains, his orange hard suit bleached by the sun as his desiccated body was still holding a lotus position, a mummified face just barely visible through the semi-opaque visor. The old tie script from the plastic age crawled along the surface of his suit, and ancient charms dangled from his arms in the vacuum. The history of who he once was and why he had to die on the moon was lost to time. Some say that he was simply set up as a prank, others believe that he was a political dissident from the collapse. Whatever secrets the moon Buddha had, he wasn't spilling them. And then, one day, someone noticed that moon Buddha was gone. He couldn't have just walked away, that was the last thing people wanted. All too soon, fingers began to be pointed at the potential thieves who dared to steal the Moon Buddha. The answer came as it usually does when someone tried to sell Moon Buddha to a pawnbroker at the end of the Orion Arm. But by the time someone had come to retrieve him, he disappeared once more, only to come back into a notoriety again when he was spotted in the background of a space pirate hold or in a collection of some eccentric collector. And every time he changed hands, the death of the former owner became all the more spectacular. The last anyone knew, Moon Buddha was tied to the top of a famous merchant flagship. And then one day, Moon Buddha returned, sitting on his hill like nothing had happened, surrounded by the corpses of two alien factions that had apparently fought to the death over returning him to his original resting place. Tracks leading up to the top of the hill was the only sign that he'd moved at all and a note attached to the front of the ancient helmet. Take him back, even dead, you humans are trouble. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below. For you to help with but the easiest way would be to share this video and if you are so inclined subscribe as well 
I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.